Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard. It is episode eight of the Dropkicks and Attractions podcast. It is the attractions part of the DNA podcast. I am, of course, your host, the Prince of Pop Culture, Xander Invictus, along with my co-host, great close personal friend, and he's a great cuddler, Big Bok. How are you, sir? Doing fine. Looking forward to cuddling cuddling you as we talk about this, talk about our podcast tonight. Absolutely. So we are doing our first television show. We've done movies for the first few. We are doing a television show, and we are doing an animated television show. And the way we approach, way we're going to approach these shows is a little bit different. Uh, first off, we are actually going to do the animated series season one of SWAT Cats, the Radical Squadron. We're going to, like I said, we're going to do this a little different bit differently because what we're going to do is obviously we're going to go over the TV show, main characters, that sort of thing. But once we get into the episodes, we obviously can't do 10, 15 minutes per episode because we would be here all night. So we're going to try to keep it short when we do episodes, try to hopefully keep it around five or six minutes an episode, go over, you know, big points, plot points, guest stars, stuff we notice, that sort of thing. Right. So we're going to go over every episode, but it's not going to be as a deep dive as like when we did Mr. Nanny or True Romance or when we do our movies going forward in the future. Right. And this is going to help even more once we get into like, excuse me, full season shows or when we get into the dramas where you're looking at 40 to 45 minutes an episode. Yeah. Because obviously we don't want you here sitting here three, four hours of an episode. We don't want to be here recording three or four hours for one episode. As the saying goes, brevity is the soul of wit. Exactly. So I did. Okay, we're going to go ahead and get into SWAT Cats. It was an animated series on TBS, debuted September 11th, 1993. Uh, 13 finished episodes came out in 93, 12, and 1994. We're only going to do season one for 93. And then once we get into 1994, we will do the second season. Right. Uh, like, when we still. Okay, so we, when we do seasons on the show. Since we started in 93, we're only doing shows that debuted in 93. Like, I know there's a lot of great classic shows that had seasons two, three, four, whatever in 93. But that would be kind of hard to go over an entire season before we get to that season. So we're only going to cover shows that debuted in 93. And then in 94, we'll do their season twos, season threes, whatever. Yeah, and then shows that debuted in 94 as well. Absolutely. That way we don't. We give each show proper... It's due. Proper due, thank you. So, uh, I did watch this as a child. I was about... I was 11 when this show came out. Uh, I did watch this show. Yeah, I was in the same neighborhood of age. I There was there were just a, one or two episodes that I still remember just because of, of the autism brain. Yeah, like, I honestly remember watching it. And I did watch it later on when it was on Boomerang, but... I didn't remember any of these episodes until I watched it for our show. Right. So basically, uh, and I did like it. Spoiler alert, I enjoyed the hell out of this watching it again. I'll give my thoughts at the end. Okay, we'll give your thoughts at the end. One thing I did notice when we got into the intro of the show was the kick-ass theme song. That I'll agree with. The theme song was a nice little rock tune. And trust me, if you like it, you're going to hear it every single episode at least once or twice. Yeah, they, it, it seems to be used as filler music at a few points as well. Basically, for all the action scenes, you're going to hear the song. Right. 
because uh, I think that's one thing I notice at least I don't watch a lot of the modern cartoons just because, you know, I don't have any kids. And the last modern cartoon I watched was Phineas and Ferb. I watched that, too, and I, I did enjoy it. Yeah, it had a good. But see, one thing I, I miss is when shows just in general, whether they're live action animated, you don't have memorable theme songs anymore. Yeah, you really don't. I can think the one I can only think of off the bat is the Big Bang Theory. Yeah, I know that one. It's been a long time, though. Yeah, but, uh, like, and I posted this on Twitter last night on my own personal Twitter that one of my all-time favorite theme songs, and not only is it underrated, but the show overall, the IP, underrated as it is, is The Adventures of Bucky O'Hare. Like, if you want an absolute, to me, top three theme songs of all time, especially in animated shows, yeah, my cousins owned a VHS with the first four or so episodes of Bucky O'Hare, and I never, I never saw more of it than that. Yeah, but the theme song you don't forget. You don't. And it actually had a really good uh, Nintendo game too. I remember that game. That was a lot of fun. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So we're gonna go ahead and uh, let's talk about SWAT cats. We have two of them. We got Razor. And we got T Bone. They are cats. I know. Everybody in here are cats. And yet you do seem to see some act, some ant, some farm animals like cows, so you wonder why they're not humanoids too. There was also a saber-toothed tiger in the first episode too, which... Ah, yes, there was. So basically, uh, this is a whole town of anthropomorphic cats. Uh, Razor and T-Bone, they run a salvage yard in the city that basically all the military dumps their stuff when it gets destroyed, and that's... They build all their stuff out of scraps, basically. Yeah. And the stuff that they're able to build and the fact that they have their own little base underneath the... Scrapyard. How nobody noticed, except for the one... Well, we'll get to that episode. But how nobody noticed that there was a gigantic airplane hangar and base and vehicles underneath the salvage yard and nobody noticed? Yeah. It's it's a it's a cartoon. You, you really have to turn off suspension of disbelief. Yeah. It's a cartoon for kids. But I just thought that was funny. I was like, how... So yeah, the show follows a pretty standard monster of the week format. Well, villain of the week, I guess I should say. They're not all monsters. Yeah, and we get a, we get a lot of recurring ones too. You'll get your main recurring ones. So uh, Razor, he's the he was the smaller, skinnier one. He was the basically the mechanical genius. Your he was the dead shot with the weapons. I found it. I found the the humorous irony that he was voiced by Barry Gordon. And the reason I found the irony in him, uh, Razor being the mechanical genius of the duo, Barry Gordon was the original voice of Donatello in the Ninja Turtles cartoon. Oh, really? I I didn't know that. So he was basically the mechanical genius in the Ninja Turtles and the mechanical genius in SWAT Cats. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, I just thought, I love that kind of irony. But like I said, once we get into the episodes and different characters, there's some heavy hitters when it comes to voiceovers in this show. And there's, there's some really, really cool guest stars, too. Guest stars and just, like, people that, if you follow voice acting over the last 30 years, you're going to know these people. Right. They spared no expense of getting people. T-Bone, he was the pilot. He was the larger, huskier cat, voiced by Charlie Adler, who was not only Buster Bunny in Tiny Toons. I know that role. Okay. 
he was also in Hulk Hogan had a cartoon that was Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling in the mid '80s, the peak, peak, peak first part of uh, Hulkamania. He had a Saturday morning cartoon. Uh, Charlie Adler did the voice of Rowdy Rowdy Piper. Oh, cool. Yeah, because you know the wrestlers didn't do the voices. Right. Like I know for a fact that okay, we found out that Rowdy Piper was done by Charlie Adler. Brad Garrett, who played uh, the brother and everybody loves loves Raymond, mm-hmm. was Hulk Hogan's voice. Now, I know Brad Garrett's name, uh, the brother in Raymond. That's the only role of his I know. For some reason, it escapes me. His character. I used to. I've watched almost every episode of it. Just for some reason, my mind like. But he did the voice of Hulk Hogan. Brad. That was the brother's name. Was it Brad? I know that was his name in real life. Wait, no. I think it. Maybe I'm wrong. Hold on a second. I need to figure this out because it's going to bother me. Because we're professionals. Oh, yeah. Robert. Thank you, Robert. God, I feel stupid because I've watched almost every episode. I saw a few here and there, but th- that's not what we're talking about, so. Yeah, but no, he uh, he was the voice of Hulk Hogan. And James Avery, who we know is not only the voice of the original Shredder, but Uncle Phil in Fresh Prince, the greatest TV show dad ever. Right. Was Junkyard Dog. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I never saw that Hulk Hogan cartoon. It's goofy. It's 80s cheesy peak Hulk Hogan cartoon. Gotcha. Uh, Mayor Manx, he was the mayor of Mega Cat City, voiced by none other than Jim Cummings. If I remember right, he, he did a lot of singing for Disney movies, right? He was the voice of he was the singing voice of Scar in one point. Right. He was also Winnie the Pooh. Oh, really? He's basically been in everything ever, forever, and ever. Gotcha. Trust me, you know Jim Cummings. Everybody knows Jim Cummings. His deputy mayor, Callie Briggs, or Calico, get it? Cause cat. I get it. There's a lot of it in this show, by the way, guys. Uh, voiced by Tress McNeil, who, uh, Babs Bunny. So we have Babs and Buster Bunny on this show. I believe Tress McNeil had a role on Futurama, too, but I can't remember what it was offhand. Yeah, like, she's very, like I said, when I say that there's prolific voice actors on this show, I'm not joking. And I'm not even, I haven't even gotten to the big ones yet. <clears throat> Mark Hamill. Commander Farrell, he was the commander of the Enforcers, the basically paramilitary group of the show. Voiced by Gary Owens. And if that voice sounds familiar, not only was he Powdered Toastman in Ren and Stimpy. Oh, that show. I haven't thought about that show in ages. He was the original Space Ghost. Oh, really? So that's where that that's why you got that big, heroic sounding voice. Space Ghost. Gotcha. We also saw his second in command was Hal Rail. Was voiced by Hal Rail. His name was Commander Steel. Uh, I didn't see a lot of voice roles I was familiar with, but I did see that he did some voicing as the Predator in Predator 2. Right. Yeah, backtracking for a sec, I looked it up. Tress McNeil was mom in Futurama. Okay, like, I i don't know near as much Futurama as you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we saw another one. His name was Sergeant Talon. I think he was more second season. Was voiced by Ed Gilbert, who was not only known as Hawk in the original G.I. Joe, which I was a huge G.I. Joe fan as a kid. Right. He was Blue in Tailspin. Oh. So there's a lot of, like, huge, huge, huge voice actors. Yeah. Very star-studded cast. 
absolutely. Like I said, <clears throat> Mark Hamill. There's going to be some other ones that are in here that you're just mind blowing. Yeah. So uh, let's go ahead. Like I said, we're going to go over each episode. We're trying to give each episode its due, but we don't want to go too long into it. Right. The first episode is the past master always rings twice. I get it because instead of postmaster. Yeah. So we, this is our first introduce of one of the recurring villains known as the Past Master, who was voiced by Keen Curtis. Yeah, Past Master was buried in a, in a buried alive for eight hundred years, and his discovering what he's missed is is part of how we're introduced to this world. But yeah, because he has a a clock written around him, a clock with him like a like a like a pocket watch almost. Right, and he can do it to raise things from the dead. He, you know, raised skeletons. Like I said, this is how he was able to raise the saber-toothed tiger from the museum. He can use that to raise creatures, almost like a necromancer. Right. But he wants, he needs his book. And he goes over to, I believe it looked like it was some sort of mausoleum, didn't have the book, that it's his. There's a lot of time travel involved with him. Yeah. So he goes to the museum because that's where all the museums are at. Everything's at the museum. Right. So we go in there. And before we go into the museum, we notice that T-Bone and Razor are uh, having a competition on who can last longer in an inertia machine. You know, one of those moments where, oh, no, this won't play into the end of the episode at all. Right. Yeah. So it's just a quick thing. Hey, we're joking around. Hey, we're competition. So we go to the museum. Not only do we see Callie for the first time, we're introduced to recurring character Dauber, Dr. Abyssinian, you know, Abyssinian cats. Right. She's a museum curator. We're going to see her a few times throughout the show. Mm -hmm. Passmaster comes in, steals the book. Yay, we want the book back. Here come the SWAT cats. Passmaster is not only able to summon a Megasaurus Rex, he sends the SWAT cats through the portal the dinosaur came from and sends them back to prehistoric times. Yeah. And it, just, just remember, guys, if it seems like we're going through a lot of stuff really fast... These are 20-minute episodes. This show moves fast. Yeah, it's a very fast-paced show, but it... it I never got I never got tired watching it if you know what I mean. Oh yeah, we also get to see one of their their famous cement machine guns and all the different missiles they use throughout the show too. Yeah, I was expecting and got that there was going to be a lot of Deus Ex Machina coming from that stuff. Oh yeah, like this is this is a kids cartoon. Of course, this is you could have called this Deus Ex Machina the Radical Squadron. Absolutely. And a lot of yeah, I don't think that's how that works. But once again, it's a kids cartoon. Suspension of disbelief. Yes. Passmaster's able to get... He's trying to bring the Dark Ages... Even though he brings in a dinosaur, he wants to bring in the Dark Ages back to... The present. Uh, to make a cat city. He's going to turn it back to the Dark Ages. Right. But And they have till noon. He has till noon before this happens. If it hits noon, he wins. So the uh, SWAT cats... How, how are we going to uh, fix our fighter jet in prehistoric times without being crushed by dinosaurs? Volcanic gas fumes. They're able to pump volcanic gas fumes and modify their plane to get back through the portal. It's the second portal that Passmaster just happened to open, so they got really lucky. Of course they did. But no, I was like, I don't think that's how volcanic gas works. But once again... Kids cartoon, suspension of disbelief. Yeah, and so they go through. They You know, they have seconds to spare. And he's at... Uh, Passmaster's at the clock tower. Uh-oh, it's going to hit click noon. What do they do? They shoot a missile that blocks the clock arms on the clock tower from changing to noon, and I'm thinking, that's not how time works. No, it's not. But it was goofy. 
they destroy the book. He gets thrown through the portal. Good guys win. Yep. Very fast introduction to the series. The inertia machine, that is foreshadowing. I liked it. It was fun. This show's fun overall. Like I said, we talked about Keen Curtis did the voice of Passmaster. He was also the gentleman who played Cisco's father in Deep Space Nine. Oh, that's who that was. Yes. If he sounds familiar, especially to you, that was Cisco's father. Episode two, the giant bacteria. So we open up instantly into an action scene. The SWAT cats are uh, chasing a pilot who's just going around blowing up refineries all over the city. Pilot's name is Morbulus, who literally has eyes in the back of his head. So yeah, the SWAT cats stop him with this, another Deus Ex Machina missile that bores through his plane and causes his pilot couch to fall out. Yep, cookie cutter missile, that's what they call it. Morbulus is voiced by Jim Cummings. Again, you're going to see, not only are you going to see a lot of big voice actors in this, they do a lot of separate parts. They do a lot of characters. Uh, and they go to get him. Oh, we, we dunk him in the water, but somehow he was able to get out of it and escape and leave his suit fully intact. They don't know this yet, so they, hey, we won. And instead of cracking open in a beer, when they get back, what do they crack open? Milk. Milk in a can. So, Morbulus is able to escape in the sewers, and he runs into one of the... Probably one of the characters that we're going to see recur the most. I, I'm going to say at least three or four times in the first season. Right. Half cat, half snake, Dr. Viper, who is uh, turns Morbulus into a bacteria that is very amoebic-like, and it can, he can split into different ones. Dr. Viper is voiced by Frank Welker who was not only the original Megatron in Transformers. Oh, really? He has been voicing Fred Jones from Scooby-Doo since 1969. Really? Since the very first Scooby-Doo series. He has been the only voice of Fred since the cartoon started. That is amazing. Yes. Other than there was another gentleman that did a pup named Scooby-Doo. Because I'm sure, I'm sure they needed like a younger Fred because, you know, they were kids. Right. Let's put it this way. My mom was nine years old. Holy crap, that really puts it in perspective. He's been Fred since my mom was nine. He's been the only animated voice of Fred for almost 60 years. 54 if I counted right. 50, yeah. So, like I said, we also get to see the... They're, they're kind of just jackasses, Burke and Murray. They, they dump stuff at the salvage yard. Uh, Murray is voiced by Adler, you know, who's doing one of the SWAT cats. Mm-hmm. Burke is, you know, I had this cough, but uh, Burke is voiced by Mark Hamill. Oh, really? Not the only Mark Hamill voice this season, by the way. Yeah, I didn't pick up that that was him, but I, I did pick up on the guest on the 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 guest role he did. Yeah, so uh, that cough that that was a sl- that that slight Mark Hamill cough. That was why. Right. They realized they try to figure out. Hey, uh, we can't attack him because when they explode, they explode. They turn into. Multiple creatures. Right. So they go to... Callie goes to speak to a Dr. N. Zyme. Get it? Uh. Voiced by Paul Eiding, who was... I noticed him as Nozone from Toxic Crusaders. I know him as Colonel Campbell from the Metal Gear series. Yeah, and he was also Max in uh, all the Ben 10 cartoons. He was Ben's grandpa. Hey, here's antibiotics. Oh, by the way... Shock of all shocks, he's immune to antibiotics, and they just straight up killed Dr. Enzyme. Yeah, he he's gone. Like, no, this show is not worried about, oh, the enzyme just, or the 
Morbulus just swallowed a subway. Everybody's dead. Yeah, very dark. Yeah, this show's a little dark. They they do discover that uh, electricity is able to beat Morbulus. Mm-hmm. He's split into three at this point. Razor Razor lures one of them into the subway. He shocks it on the third rail. That's how because that's how they figure out that he's the electricity is how you beat him. Right. They had a electrical missile because of course they did. Right. And then they had to go to uh, some power lines to kill the third one. Yeah. Dr. Viper is able to escape. Morbulus is never seen again. Nope. Bye. Thanks for being in the show. Bye. Oh, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I, I had the voice wrong. Keen Curtis was not the voice of the father in Deep Space Nine because Dark Cat, The Wrath of Dark Cat, episode three, is voiced by Brock Peters, who did the vo- who was Cisco's father in Deep Space Nine. That's my fault. Okay, now now that you've mentioned it, now I can I can hear hear the connection. Yeah, so basically, this is basically the, for RPG nerds, this is the BBEG of the, the series. Right. What is the BBEG? The big bad evil guy. He's the big bad evil guy. This is their arch nemesis, and he has a bunch of creatures that help him fight his little minions, and he steals, he's stealing material, he's going to make a homemade nuclear bomb, he's going to destroy Mega Cat City. Dark. Yeah, Dark Cat. And uh, so we have Commander Farrell goes throughout the entire series. He's like, we'll take it from here, SWAT cats. We know what we're doing. They never do. The SWAT cats always save them. But the Enforcers save the day at the end. Yeah, but there's a lot of collateral damage that the SWAT cats cause, so you get where Farrell's coming from. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like, oh, we, we saved the day, and we totally, none of that damage was us, even though we saved the day. It was the SWAT cats, which it was, but... Yeah, it's being disingenuous. Yeah. But Pharaoh decides, hey, the only way we can stop them from stealing this nuclear bomb or making this nuclear bomb is to sneak onto the ship. Dark Cat's ship does not go well. No, it does not. So this is where we see Lieutenant Steel for the first time. He uh, He's like, hey, I'm going to basically let, let, let Pharaoh die so I can take over. And then you realize he's just a, okay, I'm going to apologize right now for saying this. He's a scaredy cat. <laughs> oh, God. I apologize right now. He's a scaredy cat because he's just like, oh, I don't want to do that. I'll just, but I'm going to, yeah, no, I don't want to do that. That's not, no. Yeah. This is also where we get Jake and Chance's backstory. That, that's the SWAT cat's real names. Jay, Chance's T-Bone, Jake is Razor. Yeah. They were actually members of the Enforcers. So go ahead and talk about that a little bit. Yeah. They were members of the Enforcers and during a pursuit of Dark Cat, they caused damage to Enforcers headquarters, were stripped of their rank and forced to take the job at the Solid Yard to pay back the damage. Yes, but it was actually Farrell's fault that they crashed the plane. Yeah, he's just, he's just, he's just too proud to admit it. Because he wanted to, because they were chasing Dark Cat and they had him dead to rights. Yeah, too proud to X is a thing for Farrell throughout the series. Yeah, so basically he he uh, jostles the plane and Dark Cat escapes, but he's the reason the plane crashes, destroys the building. He's basically the reason SWAT cats exist. Right. SWAT cats come in, they stop the bomb from happening. Farrell's too proud to admit that they helped him. Yeah, there is a funny scene here. Razor is riding the bomb toward the ground trying to disarm it. Always cut the red wire. All the wires are red. No, this, like, this show's funny. It really is. As dark as we say it is, this show's very funny. I, I had, Like I said, I had a lot of fun watching this show. I'm looking forward to doing the second season. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of funny and speaking of running gags, yeah, we're going to go into our next episode, Destructive Nature. Which is where we get our first recurring villain of the show. Yeah, Dr. Viper shows up again. Dr. Viper. 
who seizes the Mega Cat Tower office building. Which is 300 stories tall. Yes. And basically the idea is, is that there's a returning gag in this show where the mayor tries to get all these uh, companies and businesses and rich people to take offices in the building. And every time he goes to show them this, the building either gets taken over or the building gets destroyed. Right. It happens a few times throughout the show. It's a running gag. Oh, here's the building. Oh. And they're like, yeah, no, we'll go elsewhere. This happens two or three times throughout the show. It's funny. It's not overdone, but it's really funny. No, not overdone at all. And this is the first time we see this gag. So what happens is Dr. Viper seizes the structure uh, with his acid-spinning plantimals. What happens is he puts a gigantic spore pot on top of the penthouse, and when it explodes, he's going to turn Mega Cat City into Mega Swamp City. Right. Yeah, Razor goes commando to save Deputy Mayor Callie, and we see that the SWAT cats are as handy in hand-to-hand combat as they are in the jet. Oh, yeah. And we also find out that none of the missiles are working on all these creatures, and they also spit acid and uh, destroying all these planes. Yeah, it doesn't work out too well for the enforcers. No, and none of the, the SWAT cats' missiles, none of their weapons are working. And there's a scene where uh, Callie and Razor, thank you, I forgot his name there for a second, are in a air duct, and they figure out that cold freezes them and it kills these plants. So T-Bone goes and st- gets a whole industrial-sized barrel of high-tech... Super rocket coolant. Su- super rocket coolant. And there's a joke about the guys that, when he takes from these guys, he's like, well, if someone asks for it, you give it to them. Right. But yeah, basically what it happens is they figure out that cold kills the plants. They use the uh, super-powered rocker coolant to destroy the spore before the spore, just this big spore creature on top of the building. But it destroys the building. Just as the mayor pulls up with his clients and they're like, yeah, no, we'll go elsewhere, thanks. Episode 5, we inter- we are now introduced to the one of the other more recurring uh, characters, villains of the show, the Metallicats, which is also the name of the episode. Uh, we uh, find out are meeting these robot cats, Mac and Molly. They're basically kind of like a Bonnie and Clyde style duo. Yeah, they used to be crime bosses and died escaping Alcatraz. And Professor Hackle is the name of the gentleman that brings them back to life. He basically takes their mind and puts it into robots. They're robotic cats. And Professor Hackle wants them to be good. They're like, no, we're not because... Yeah, they're not having any of that. No, and basically what it is, they're going to go after the mayor. They're going after the mayor this whole episode because they believe that's who denied their parole. And you find out later on in the episode, it wasn't the mayor, it was... It was Callie. It was Callie because the mayor doesn't do a damn thing. No, he does not. Not one thing. Like, for those that watched, like, later on cartoons in the 90s, this is basically the mayor and the assistant from the Powerpuff Girls. Oh, that's a good comparison. Because the assistant, uh, Sarah Bellum, did all the work. She was the pretty face that did all the work. The mayor didn't do a damn thing, took all the credit, because Mayor Banks just likes to play golf. Yeah. But yeah, they're going to go after the mayor. They're going to kill the mayor because they're the reason, he was the reason they stayed in prison. Right. And the SWAT cats have to come in and save the day. Once again, because... When in doubt, bring in gigantic fighter jets to blow shit up. Yep. Yeah, Callie gets thrown out a window when, when she tells Mac and Molly that she was the one who denied their parole and the SWAT can't save her. Because deus ex machina. And here we go with our second recurring character. We're back with the Past Master. We start out that there's this gigantic sucking tentacle type creature that is sucking crude oil out of the ships that the SWAT cats are able to destroy, but they use all but one missile to destroy this one creature. And they go to fly home, hey, we need to replenish, repair the plane. And you see all the cats in the water, it's like, yeah, thank you. But 
I'm, I don't know if you noticed this, but you noticed that, okay, once they defeated the creature, there's all this crude oil pouring into the water. Yeah, I didn't I didn't catch that. I, it's like, oh, great, you saved the ship, and now that you just caused an ecological disaster. Great. Yeah. By the way, they never bring it up. It, nev- it, they never get, it never gets brought up again. Nope. But on their way back, the past master, who's back in his old timeies, the Dark Ages, opens up a time vortex, and the SWAT cats get stu- sucked into it. Yeah, so now the SWAT cats are in the Dark Ages. Yes, and they're because they have a flying machine, people think they're sorcerers and they need to die. And we are introduced to Queen Callista, who is Callie in the Dark Ages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- this this whole episode is a it's a reference to the King Arthur myth. Yeah, because there's the sword and the stone, wizards, sorcerers, and basically also if the past master wants to marry Queen Callista and he wants to destroy not Mega Cat City. Megalith City. Right. And how are the how are the uh, guys going to repair their plane and replenish it when they don't have any modern technology? Good question. Pots of hot soup and uh, flails, spiked flails on chains is how they do it. Because, of course, why not? Yeah, but it, I like that it's like, oh, well, um, we're going to use this big old ball and chain and hot pepper soup. It, they, they're improvising. Yeah, and I liked it. It was like, okay, you don't, you know, maybe don't rely on the missiles as much. We can use that for every other episode. Yeah, Pathmatcher eventually engages them on a dragon. Uh, Razor ejects and uses his self-propelled ejector seat to save Callie. Because they use the last missile, because the magical sword that Razor's able to pull out of the rock, they attach it to the last missile they have, and they leave it to T-Bone because T-Bone is not a good shot. Right. He's the pilot, not the shot. Makes the shot, kills the dragon. Passmaster disappears, and Callie sends them back to the back to the present. Because apparently she's a wizard too, and we didn't realize this until two seconds before the end of the episode. Oh, she knows spells too. Of course she does. Of course. How stupid of us for thinking otherwise. <laughs> yeah. How dare us? But then they they find another one of those tentacle oil sucking monsters, and they actually use the hot pepper soup to defeat it. They throw it into the open mall of the. Creature and the episode's over. Once again, it's a harmless one. I love the, it's funny. It's goofy. It's uh, get it. Ha ha ha. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. We're up to episode seven right now. We're about halfway through. Mm-hmm. Night of the Dark Cat, and we are introduced to sort of kind of recurring character because they're seen for two. They're seen for two seconds in another episode later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're uh, intercept a character, a villain known as. Hard Drive, who was voiced by, but I didn't catch who that was. Rob Paulson. Oh. That was Rob Paulson. Oh, it was. It was. Basically, he puts on a coat and he can travel through. He's basically Electro from Spider-Man. Right. Uh, But they are able to stop him because they are testing out their new turbo engine. And they just so happen to have an insulated missile. Because, of course, they have exactly what they need. Exactly. So they're able to trap him in there, and he can't escape because it's insulated. But who was able to break him out? That would be Dark Cat. Dark Cat. And so he forces Hard Drive to help him. Because what they're going to do, he's going to help destroy and discredit the SWAT cats. So what happens is Dark Cat is able to lure and subdue the cats at a abandoned cat litter factory because... What town in the right mind does not have an abandoned cat litter factory? Right, and then Hard Drive takes the, the Turbo Cat, that's the name of their jet, and holds the city for ransom. 
because he goes around destroying buildings and there was always there was a fun there's a uh, reporter let me pull up her name real quick she's a the reporter that you see throughout the show off and on angora because you know angora cat right she's reporting she's basically she, she you see her in most of the episodes too she's usually working with callie on one of the episodes she's a tv reporter and she's like oh by the way just so you know that oh no the swat cats have destroyed two skyscrapers and all of a sudden you hear a <laughs> they've destroyed four skyscrapers i i like those little gags that kind of gag i like yeah that was just like oh they've destroyed two they've now destroyed four but she was actually the the lady that uh candy milo who did the voice of Anne was sweetie pie in tiny tunes there's a lot of tiny tunes characters in here oh cool she was she was to uh sweetie pie the bird the not tweety oh yeah now i remember sweetie pie yeah she was the voice of sweetie pie there's a like i said there's a lot of tiny tunes and warner brothers uh voice actors in this they're able to escape because they use the uh dark cats creatures to bite through the ropes and are able to get their plane back and i like that it's like hey we want all the money in the treasury because dark cat gave a hard drive a voice changer that of course they has a voice changer that can mimic voices exactly. Right, yeah, that was in the defense secrets that Hard Drive stole at the beginning of the episode. Because of course that's a thing that you can happen. Of course. Because you know that wasn't like a big plot point in Scream Three or anything. Spoiler, it was. Right. But they're able to get the plane back. Everything goes fine. But I just like the fact that before they do, he's like, "We want the treasury. Give us all the money in the city." And it's like six bags of money. And then. And then for some reason, there's more of it when the SWAT cats return it at the end of the episode. Yeah, I was just like, wait a minute, this is supposed to be this big, sprawling metropolis, and your city treasury had six bags of money? So yeah, the episode actually closes with Jake and Chance in civilian garb, heading back to an old lady that they were about to tow earlier, but they dipped out when they got the emergency alert from Cat. Yeah, like she, she's, in, she's in two episodes in the season. She's like, I'm going to call the car club. And they're like... Lady, we'll give you free tune-ups. I'm okay. You guys are great. But yeah, she she uh she did uh two up. Ep- there was another episode. I think it was the last episode. Yeah, I think where so they too. give her like the special super rocket fuel for her car. Something like that. It was it was uh, it was it was an old lady. So we get done with chaos in crystal, and we see that this is basically a shot at bit. I noticed this right away. Being older. This show, this episode duh, really did a deep dig into privatized prisons. I picked up on that too. Yeah, this was like this this episode was like we don't like private prisons because basically the the guy that runs it, the warden that runs it is making the prisoners mine for jewels. He skims a lot of the jewels for his own money, which is basically I'm not trying to get too political about this. This was basically what private prisons do. Right. This was a dig of privatized prisons in 1993 in a kid's cartoon. Well, we had the, the bad guy Rex Shard, who was voiced by John Vernon. And if that voice sounds super familiar, that was the dean in Animal House. Rex is using a device that can turn things into diamonds developed by one of the prison warden subordinates, Dr. Greenbox. It was, it was the Gemcat 6000... And Dr. Greenbox was voiced by... Robert Patrick of Terminator 2 and later seasons of The X-Files. Yes. And he was also in Peacemaker. He was Peacemaker's dad. I need to watch that show. Heard it was amazing, but he was also Peacemaker's dad in the TV show. 
Cool. So, but yeah, we love. I'm a huge Robert Patrick fan. Also, from what I hear, a super nice guy. I've heard that too. Yeah. So anything, anytime Robert Patrick's in something, I'm excited. So yeah, he plays the doctor. But basically, shard. The idea is shard, which aha, uh-huh, play on words. What happens in the sh- episode is able to steal some diamonds out of the machine because hey, I'm. You know what? His train of thought, I don't entirely disagree with. Right, if the warden's going to get rich, I should get rich too, because I'm taking the risk doing the warp. Yeah, basically. But what happens is the machine explodes, and Crystal's, he's basically half cat, half Crystal. It's split down the middle like Two-Face. And anything, and he's very king minus. Anything he touches with his crystal hand turns to Crystal. Yeah, so eventually he becomes holy Crystal, and he starts growing. Yeah, and he can, he can throw, he can shoot Crystals out of his hands. He's basically just a living Crystal. Yeah, and obviously he's going after the Warden, which I honestly don't blame him for going after the Warden. Yeah, I don't blame him for that either. He's going after Dr. Greenbox. By the way, what's the mayor doing? Golfing. Golfing. He leaves Cali. He's like, I gotta go play golf. Uh, anything happens, you'll be fine. And of course, something happens. Something always happens with this show. Yeah, but while this is going on, before this and then during the show, the cats are out in the desert. They're trying out new what missiles because what are we going to need between for this episode? Missiles that can slice things apart and missiles that can shatter things with sound. And what do they happen to be uh, testing out in the desert? Slicer missiles and banshee missiles. Yes. So, but they're able to, they figure out, they pull a straight signal because apparently there's a city, a full urban metro, metro city that's also by a desert because they're like, yeah, the prison's like 20 miles away. Let's go check out this weird signal. Well, of course. It's like the Simpsons. You know, it's like The Simpsons where it has, like, every... Flexible geography. Yeah, it's like The Simpsons. It's like they have mountains, and they also have... They're on the coast, and they have this, and it's like... And I like that The Simpsons actually did that on purpose, because that way you can't... It doesn't... That's why you can prove that Springfield doesn't exist, because it has everything. That's why the trope is called, Where the Hell is Springfield? Exactly. This is what, this is what reminded me. I was like, yeah, we're, we're in this big metropolitan city... That's next to a desert, but the city itself is not in a desert-type weather situation. And the city is also bordering an ocean, it looked like, from from when we saw the oil tankers. Yeah. This is a very, where the hell is Springfield-type situation. Yeah. But you're not supposed to notice this. But anyway, so they are able to save everybody. And it's weird that once they're able to turn him back to normal, everything uncrystallizes too somehow because of course it does warden's still dead though he fell over and he shattered yeah what well, you know we're not worried about the warden yeah why would we be yeah we're i'm not a man it's like remember once again not trying to get on soapbox but this is a very anti-privatized prisons episode right and you and it's not and it, i'm sure when we were like 10 or 11 we didn't catch it but yeah coming back to it now i'm turning 40 and i'm turning 40 in three months right it took me about two seconds to realize this episode was private prison suck. It was not, this is not a subtle episode. No, not a, not even close. It was still good. There's At least in this first season, there's not a bad episode. There's not even a meh episode. All these episodes are enjoyable, and I would watch them again. This was more the heavy-handed episode. This was one of the more heavy-handed episodes. Right. So, basically, the good guys win. By the way, we never see Shard again. We were supposed to, there was rumors that they were going to bring him back for episode, uh, season three, but season three never happened. I'll get more into that next time when we talk about uh, 94. Right. 
But uh, yeah, there was there was plans for episodes that just never happened. They were going to bring him back, but for the most part, Shard never comes back. Mm-hmm. Greenbox does, but he's voiced by another uh, actor. Right. So, Ghost Pilot, episode nine. By the way, speaking of different places, we're at the marina where they pull an old Mega War II biplane out of the bay. They figure out that it's the Red Lynx. I think this is basically a play on words of the Red Baron, the famed uh, dogfight pilot. And basically, the yeah, Red Minx, Red Lynx, excuse me, and the Blue Manx, we find out is the great grandfather of Mayor Manx. Mayor Manx. Uh, we're arch enemies, and uh, the Red Lynx was shot down over the water. And so, because of reasons, the spirit of the Red Lynx is resurrected and steals the plane. And uh, who is the Red Lynx voiced by? Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill. We love Mark Hamill on this channel. Oh, yes, we do. But and this is another thing I picked up on the plane, that there was actually something somewhat historically accurate about the uh, Red Lynx's plane. Oh, do tell. I read the, the the famed air pilot, Eddie Rickenbacker, who they named the Air Force Base after. Mm-hmm. I, read, I was reading a biography about him, and there were a lot of those planes, especially the, like the World War One era biplane, like the fighter planes. You saw that when he was shooting, the Red Lynx was shooting his, his gun, the bullets were going through the propeller. Yeah, I do know how that works. Yeah, and that's that was a real thing. They basically were able to time the spin of the propeller with the bullets. That way you could sh- use almost like your propeller as a shield. So you could shoot the bullets through the propeller without hitting the blades of the propeller. Yeah, it's an interrupter gear on the on the drive shaft driving the propeller. Yeah, that, that was a 100% real thing. That wasn't just animation. That was a real thing. You basically were able to use your propeller as your shield. Right. And we also find out that T-Bone is a huge fan of the Red Lynx. He knows he's a bad guy, but it's more he's a fan of his... Basically, it seems like he's the reason T-Bone's the pilot. Right, he respects the Red Lynx's combat prowess. Yeah, so he's watching all these videos, and it's just like, dude, you gotta watch this stuff. You know he's the bad guy? He's like, yeah, but he was good. And so uh, they're actually able to... The SWAT cats get into a dogfight because he wanna, he's out with vengeance uh, against his arch-rival. And so his arch rival's dead, so who does he go after? Mayor Manx. Mayor Manx. So they're actually able to shoot down the Red Lynx's plane, and he's in the water. And I noticed when I'm watching this, wait, we still got like 10 minutes left in this episode. Yeah, that caught me off guard. <laughs> so what happens is they bring out this high-tech in, uh, enforcer jet, because of course they do. And the Red Lynx steals it, because of course he does. And apparently this guy that, you know, flew biplanes... Knows how to drive this. Knows how to completely drive this completely high tech fighter pilot. Because of course. Yeah. So the SWAT cats have to do it again. And I saw something that was kind of funny. They realized, oh, to bring him down, we need to have a relative of the Blue Manx shoot him down. Obviously, that means Mayor Manx, but that's gonna be a real trick. And that's the, this was the funny part that I actually laughed out loud at. He's like, oh, I don't want to do it. I'm so scared. I'm just a mayor. And he keeps missing, and him and Razor are on the, the, the bike. The Stalot Cats have a bike. And he's like, hey, if you don't stop this, you're not going to get reelected. All of a sudden, he's got, oh, hell no, look. And, of course, the mayor gets a dead shot right onto the fucking plane. Right. Yeah, that was a good one. I was like, you're not going to get elected. He's like, oh, hell no. Because <laughs> you, you saw the look in his eyes, too. He's like, uh-uh. Your boy's about to get elected. Boop. I was like, psychology works. Indeed it does. So they shoot down the Red Lynx. Everybody goes home happy. The day is saved. 
Until episode 10, Mental Urgency. We start with Hard Drive stealing a prototype tank, and even the SWAT cats are having trouble getting through to this thing. Yeah, but, you know, that that Hard Drive is basically just there for fodder. He gets captured relatively easily. Right. But while one of the buildings is, is destroyed, you see these gigantic, huge animal-looking robots in the in the background, which totally won't come into play for the latter half of the episode. I think you're lying to me. I would never lie to you. Yes, you would. I would. So anyway, what happens, we see Professor Hackles back, and he's trying to... He, he uh, once the Metallicats in the last the first episode they were in are destroyed, he takes them from the salvage yard. He really wants to reprogram them to make them... Uh, subservient. Not necessarily subservient. Well, now he wants to make them subservient. He's going to dress the ma- female as a maid, and the other one is the chauffeur or the butler. But he, he wants to make them members... Uh, what's the word? I'm member society. Um... Productive. Thank you. Productive member society. And they're like, yeah, no, that's not happening. Yeah, for a, that's really dark for a kid, so I'm going to change who you are. Yeah, we got privatized prisons are bad, and I'm going to change you to be not who you are. Like I said, this show was dark in general. Like, we're just going to kill people. Yeah. Which is actually the downfall of why the show got canceled, but we'll get into that for 94. Right. Because it was Ted Turner who decided to cancel the show. Oh, Ted Turner himself did not know that. Yeah, but we'll get into that. But basically, it was like the show got too dark, and I'm like, it it was a show about cats. So I'm not gonna build a fighter jet out of my backyard scrap. Like, I don't like when adults talk down to kids over cartoons. Yeah, I get ya. And that's basically what happened. Like I said, we'll get into that much later. Anyways, so they break out away again, and they're looking for their hovercraft that they had before. It's called the Metallic Cat Express. They're in the SWAT Catcher Salvage Yard. And this is where I talked about earlier. It's like, oh, I bet no one's ever going to discover that. How has no one discovered that there's an airplane hangar underneath the salvage yard? Right. The metallic cats find it. And they get in a fight with the cats underneath, but the Razor's able to crush them with the lift for the jet. So, yeah, the metallic cats show some surprising intelligence here. Chance and Jake, as civilians, are knocked into a cavern under the hangar, and the metallic cats pursue to make sure they're dead. Yeah. Not only do they crush their bodies, the head gets loose because the heads are on legs as well, because of course they are. Right. But big thing, the Metallic Hats now know the secret identities of Razor and T-Bone. So what happens is they find out, they see, you know, the report of the hole in the wall with the gigantic robots. They find, well, they basically go in there and they take over the robots. And now we got these gigantic mech-looking, dinosaur-looking, dinosaur-looking creatures. Uh, going on a rampage. Yeah, and I th- there's also a nice nod to Terminator because the name of the company that made Skynet was Cyberdyne. Right. They These robots are from a company called Pumadyne. Right, because a Puma's a cat. Yeah, and I got the Dyne from... I'm, I don't know if it was from Terminator, the Cyberdyne thing, but I picked it up as such. It's definitely possible, but Terminator 2 is next year, 94 if I recall correctly. No, it was 91. Oh, it was? Yeah. Oh, it was set in 94. Okay, that's where I got mixed up. Yeah. No, it had already been out. I, I had had it on VHS for years at this point. Okay. Anyways, um, so the SWAT cats, and they realize they can't just beat them, so they get ingenious. They're able to defeat the robots. And there's this one moment where you're like, is Feral not an asshole? Yeah, he's wanted to know the SWAT cat's identities the whole series, but he's dedicated enough to his principles that when Mac and Molly offer to trade that information for their freedom, he just tells them to pound sand. 
Yeah, and then destroys him. Yep. And I'm like, great, he's he's an asshole. But I was like, okay, this guy's like, look, if I'm gonna learn it, I'm gonna learn it my way. I'm not gonna owe a favor to bad guys. Right. He's he's very in D and D terms, he's very lawful good. Yeah, dedicated to the letter of the law. He's a lawful good. This is where you can see that lawful good does not only always mean lawful nice. Right. Because he's an asshole. Yeah, he really is. But he, using the D&D uh, format, he's lawful good. Right. And I would you agree with that? Yes, I do. Yeah. So, we are in episode 11, the Cicata, instead of Cicada, because bugs are in this episode. So yeah, some bugs came, some bugs came from outer space and they brainwashed they brainwashed people. Yeah, basically, because this is the Mega Cat Aeronautics and Space Administration, also known as Massa. Massa, because cats. Yes. And I like I get that it, there's a lot of cat humor in this show, like from the characters' names, uh, the fact instead of beer they're drinking milk out of cans, like. But and I get there's a lot of cat humor in this show. Right. It's not overdone. It really isn't, and that surprised me. It's just enough to get it, like, cats, 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 but they're not beating you over the head with it. To me, I think they hit a perfect amount. I think I can agree with you on that. Yeah. So, uh, and even better, you find out that T-Bone is a fear of bugs because him and Razor at a monster movie that involves space bugs. And what is this? What is the big bad guy from this episode? A cicada. Which is also a space bug. Yes. Because he comes back on a... He comes... The the original creature comes back on a probe from space. Right. And he bite... Basically, if he bites you, you turn into like some sort of subservient slave. You get bug eyes and everything. Yeah. So uh, this is what happens is they start... They start turning more of the cats into drones. They're basically drones. They all have bug eyes. But he takes the cicata is what they call it. To the power, uh, nuclear plant where it eats some of the core, and it makes it, it turns into a huge size. Right. And it builds a hive where? Mega Cat Tower, which has just reopened. Yes. This is that running joke I told you about. Right. Because he wants to get as high as he can up there to reach the ultimate goal. They're going to infest the entire planet, turn everybody into bug drones. <laughs> we don't see any of the planet other than the Mega Cat City in the surrounding area, but we just, we know it's there. Yeah, we, we assume. It's it's like friggin' any other cartoon. It's like like we really don't see the Simpsons nine you know ninety percent of the show. You never see anything outside of Springfield, but you know everything's there. Yeah, the closest you see is the neighboring city Shelbyville. Yeah, or they they've gone to like Australia and New York sometimes, right. but for the most part, Springfield's self-contained. Gotcha. And I think this is like it's it's there's more to the, this is a very big comparison to Springfield than I thought it would be, but I think that's with most animated series like Flintstones. Most of the show took place in Bedrock. Bedrock. You didn't need to. You did the occasional. We're gonna go somewhere else, but most of the show took place in Bedrock. You didn't need to go anywhere else. Right. And I think that was just to save money because you didn't have to draw other stuff. Uh huh. And uh, to me, I think that's where that comes from. It's like we can save money and just keep using assets for the city. We don't have to draw other stuff. Right. That makes sense. So you're saving time and money because a lot of these were still. A lot of these even back then are still hand drawn cells. Yeah. And at 24 frames a second. That's a lot of frames. Per episode. So, anyways, 
because, of course, the mayor is playing golf with the guy he wants to take over the penthouse. Who's stuck in the penthouse? That would be Deputy Mayor Callie. Deputy Mayor Callie, because she is always in trouble because the, she she's basically the mayor. Yeah, in all but name. Yeah, so they go in, and obviously the good guys win. T-Bone is able to get over his fear of bugs. And you see by the end of the show, it's actually flipped. Yeah, Razor's now the one who can't stand him. Because he almost got captured. He almost got captured by the bug. So he's like, hey, I'm not good right now. And Razor's like, or uh, excuse me, T-Bone's like, yeah, they're fine. You want to go watch another? Hey, the sequel to the bug movie's out. You want to go watch it? He's like, no, I'm good. And uh, we are in the penultimate episode of episode, or excuse me, season one. Enter the Mad Cat. And there's a lot of famous people that did voices and people that they've uh, emulate. We see... Gentleman in a padded room, a comedian named Lenny Ringtail, who is very much reminiscent of Jay Leno with that jaw. Yeah, he went crazy when he didn't get a late night hosting job over David Litterbin. And I'm sure I don't have to tell you who that's probably a reference to. But for those that don't know, who is he? What is the name reference to? That would be David Letterman, the host of, I believe it was The Tonight Show for the longest time. The, The Late Show. Jay Leno had The Tonight Show. Late Show. My mistake. No, you're fine. And he actually also looked like David Letterman in the episode, too. Right, so it was probably intentional. This was kind of when they were doing that whole late night. There's a whole, there's a fascinating story about David Letterman and Jay Leno fighting over who got the late show. Oh, really? They've made movies and books about it. It's fascinating. I think this is kind of what Swatcast's take on it. Did not know that. HBO did a movie about it and there was a book written about it. This was some, there was some shady shit that went going on. I see. And if you're into, like, television, history of television like I am, it's a fascinating book. Anyways, uh, Ringtail, voiced by none other than... Locked? Didn't catch him. Roddy McDowell. Really? Yes, Ringtail. Uh, so basically, he's able to escape the padded room. Psych ward. Psych ward. He's in a padded, he is in a padded room with a straight jacket. He's still able to escape. And he finds an old magic shop, and he finds a jack-in-the-box that resembles him. And he runs into the shop owner... Who, he attacks the shop owner, takes the jack-in-the-box because it's a real-life creature inside there. And I don't know if you picked up the other famous voice, other famous actor in this episode who voiced the shop owner. I did not. James Hong. I actually don't know who that is. One, he has about 500 acting credits to his name. Okay. I know him first and lovingly. He was Lopan in Big Trouble in Little China. I've seen that movie, but it's been a long time. Like, you showed it to me years ago. He's been, like I said, he's been in, he's had over 500 movie roles. He's considered one of the most prolific. He was basically, a, he, he's a, uh, I believe he's Japanese. Basically, he he was a big forefront of, we're more than just, we play more than just servants and stuff. Okay. He helped legitimize Asians as actors. I got you. That's cool. But he's also been acting for about 50 or 60. He's in his 90s now. Oh. And he's still acting. Okay. Also, did you... Okay, how about this? Did you ever see Seinfeld? Just an episode here and there. I've never sat down and watched it. Did you ever see the Chinese food episode of Seinfeld were in the Chinese restaurant? No. Okay. Did you ever see early Big Bang Theory? A few. Did you ever see the episodes where it was the... He worked in the Chinese restaurant? Did not see those. Okay. Well, he, he did... Obviously, he did more than just guy in Chinese restaurant. But he, like I said, he's one of those, if you've seen him or heard him, trust me, you've seen him. Okay. 
huge fan of him because it's like, oh, he's one of those, he's done so much when you see him on TV, you get excited. I gotcha. Because I'm like, I can't believe this man's 92 and he's still working. Mm-hmm. Anyways, so he steals the jack-in-the-box, and it turns him into, he's possessed by the ghost of an ancient jester known as Mad Cat. So he basically, he needs to, his idea is he, to take over the city, he needs to kidnap the king, queen, knight, and jester of Mega Cat City. The jester being David Litterbin. Right. The knight being Commander Farrell. Right. The king being the mayor. And the queen being? Callie. Callie. And shock of all shocks, he's actually able to accomplish this. For a little while, anyway. Yeah, but it's the fact that he was actually able to kidnap all four and put him in his magical jack-in-the-box. Yeah. And they figure out that his weak spot is his hat. Yeah, gesture, his jester's cap. His jester's cap. He's got little bells on there. And he's even able to uh, capture uh, Razor at one point. So yeah, T-Bone's got to save the day right at the end. Yeah, so he destroys the, the, the little bells on the hat. He saves everybody. Mad Cat goes to jail, and I don't think we see him again. Yeah, Ringtail is separated from Mad Cat, and he actually gets to guest on Litterbin's show. This was a, it was a, it was a, it was a happier ending than, than usual. It was goofy. It was one of the goofier ones. He actually reminded me of the uh, Darkwing Duck. They had something, a uh, character similar. Nega Duck? No, 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 no. It was like a ju- jester, jokester type character. Oh, gosh, I know who you're talking about, but I can't remember their name. I, uh, f- uh, give me a second. Quacker Jack. Quacker Jack, of course. How can I How can I not think of something that obvious? Who was who voiced Quacker Jack? I don't think it was Mark Hamill. If I'm reading this right, Michael Bell. Okay. But basically, that's, that's what reminded me of almost like he was Quacker Jack. That's where I got that. He had a similar look to Quacker Jack, at least. I gotcha. So... We are on the season finale of season one, Catastrophe, spelled with a K because SWAT Cats is spelled with a K. And this is actually a really good send-off for that first season. Oh yeah, this is great because what happens is Dr. Viper, we're back with Dr. Viper for the third time, who uh, is infiltrating Mega Cat Biochem Labs, who runs into... Dr. Viper and Dark Cat trip trip right the heck over each other while they're both trying to steal something. And the uh, SWAT cats stop. They blow up the uh, biochem lab, but it allows them, uh, Dr. Viper and Dark Cat to escape. And uh, Feral is having none of this, so he wants them arrested for blowing out the chemical lab building. Right. He didn't see Viper and, Fe- Viper and Dark Cat. Yes. But Feral wants him them arrested because they blew up the building. But uh, Dark Cat and Viper suggest they join forces. They want to stop the SWAT cats once and for all. And Dark Cat agrees, and they decide, hey, let's get the Metallic Cats to join. And the Metallic Cats are like, nah, bro. If we're going to do this, we're going to do this solo. Because he's put the Metallic Cats back together. And Dark Cat's like, nah, because he's got, like, Neuroshock collars. They're basically like, I'm going to press this button until you do as I say. Yeah, Neuroscrambler is what they're referred to as. Neuroscrambler, but it's basically shock collars. Yeah. They're actually able to capture the SWAT cats, Callie, and the mayor. And they actually have them in a dome where you can shoot in, but you can't shoot out. And you saw, you see what's going to happen. You you see coming what's going to happen. Yeah. Bad guys are going to argue. They're going to fight over each other because I want to do it this way. No, I want to do it this way. Dr. Viper actually takes the collars off of the metallic cats. Right. 
and also all three groups of bad guys are fighting each other. And shock of all shocks, who comes in to save the SWAT cats? A shadowy figure quickly revealed as Commander Farrell. Who denies he's there to help the SWAT cats. He's like, oh, I'm just there to help the mayor. And then all of a sudden he's back to back with the SWAT cats and they're all shooting the bad guys. But he's totally not there to help the SWAT cats. Totally not. No. But of course, this is one of those episodes where it's like, it's like the, you know, it's like the Sinister Six or the Masters of Evil. We're all going to get together all at once to fight, but the good guys still win. It's a good season finale. It was enjoyable. Yeah. And now that we, now that we're done, I honestly didn't care for this as much as I hoped I would. It was good, but I wouldn't come back really? to it. I would have given this a solid eight. I grade on a letter scale. I'd give it a B. Yeah. I would watch this again. I had a lot of fun watching this. Might just be because I left it so late, had to crunch it into a short amount of time, but I, I, I think I burned myself out on it. I can see that, but I like that it's also a short, and this is something I, also, I didn't notice as I got older. When we were kids, we didn't know how many episodes were in seasons. Right. So a lot of times we would watch the same episodes a lot, so we had no idea how many episodes there were. And then you realize the first season, 13 episodes. So we watched the same 13 episodes over and over and over and over. Right, yeah. That first episode with Hard Drive and then the next one with Dark Cat, that, those stuck out to me. I still remembered story beats of those, even going into this. Yeah. Just like, like we talked about uh, the gentleman that did the voice of Nozone for Toxic Crusaders. Right. I used to watch Toxic Crusaders as a kid. It was off the very not kid-friendly Toxic Avenger movie, which I love. Mm-hmm. But they basically took the Toxic Avenger, made it a kid's pro-environment cartoon. I remember watching it all the time as a kid. Like, they had the toys. How well did it work? It wasn't as ham... It wasn't as heavy-handed with the environment as Captain Planet was. But basically, it was it was pro-environmental, but it wasn't like Captain Planet where it was like, recycle or I'm going to kill you type shit, you know? It didn't beat you over the head with it. No, Captain Planet did. Gotcha. But I still watched the hell out of some Captain Planet, though. So did I. But it, it worked. It was, it was goofy. His mop was sentient because, of course, it was. No zone special powers where he sneezed because he had a massive nose. Because, of course, he did. He would stuff pepper up his nose and then sneeze. Because the Kool-Aid man is red. Yeah, and pancake purple dog houses. Why not? Yeah. But no, no, the, no, so my point is, is I went back on Hulu several years ago. I was like, oh, cool. Toxic Crusaders, I used to watch this every day as a kid. There has to be like 50, 60 episodes. 13. Right. Okay, I see where you're going. There was 13 episodes made for that show. That was it? That was it. So either I watched it a lot and it was long, very long, or I watched the same episodes all the time because I remember watching that show a lot. Right. Just like this one, there was total 25 episodes over two years for SWAT Cats. Over two seasons, there was only 25 episodes. It got cut short. I don't think it was cut short. It was just, it just didn't. There just wasn't a lot. Like, you didn't really have... A lot of the... If you notice, there wasn't a lot of cartoons. A lot of these cartoons didn't have a lot of episodes. Yeah. Like, I remember Power Rangers had was scheduled originally for a 40-episode first season because it aired weekdays. It had 70. 70, yeah. That's going to be fun when we cover that eventually. Oh, yeah, that'll be brutal. We might have to split that up into two, two episodes. I, w I do not want to watch 70 episodes for one show. Yeah, not so much. That'll be a two-parter. Anyways, thank you, everybody, for being here for our first TV episode for SWAT Cats Radical Squadron. Like I said, when we hit 1994, we will do the second season, so stay tuned for that. 
you know, in about a year and a half. Next week, for wrestling, we are looking at Monday Night Raw of February 1st, 1993, and WCW Saturday Night of February 6th, 1993. And then episode 10, which is our next Attractions episode, we're doing another TV show. Because I booked this, and I did this. It's my fault. But it's only a one-season TV show, so once we cover it, we don't have to cover it again. We're not doing Saved by the Bell. We're doing Saved by the Bell, The College Years. I don't think I ever watched this one, so I'll be going in blind just like I like it. I watched the first episode. This was actually the only Saved by the Bell show that was on primetime because I watched it when it first debuted. Because basically, they all went to college, and it was slightly more adult themes because it was college. Right. And it lasted one season. Mm Mm-hmm. So... You can find the podcast at capital D and capital A podcast one. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, Hover, TikTok, all of those, Xander Invictus. And I can be found on social media at Big Bopped. That's Bopped with a C. Big Bopped with a C. Thank you, everybody, for coming out for episode eight. And we will see you next week on the Dropkicks and Attractions podcast. Take care, everybody.